Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Your Mark on the World show. I am so excited. We have uh, Jed Emerson, the godfather of impact investing, uh, founder and principal of the Blended Value Group, author of several books, including The Purpose of Capital. He's with us today. I am so honored, so grateful, so excited. Join us. Don't let, miss this episode. Welcome to the Your Mark on the World show with your champion of social good, Devin D. Thorpe. This episode is made possible via the support of our sponsors, including Johnson & Johnson's Caring Crowd. Jed, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, the pleasure is all ours. Thank you very, very much. Uh, you are just now, uh, just becoming available now, is, the, is your new book, The Purpose of Capital. Uh, give us just a, a teaser overview of what the book is about. The book is a, an exploration of uh, the why. I, I think we have a lot of information and conversation and discussions about the how relative to impact investing. How do you structure deals? How do you measure? How do you define? And I kind of woke up a few years ago and realized that all of my conversations had devolved to questions of strategy and tactics. And I realized that part of the problem that I think the field is having is that we haven't spent enough time sitting with the deeper questions of why are we doing this? And so we're not sure how to answer some of these central issues with regard to how. And so I wanted to spend time really exploring that question. One of the little anecdotes in the book that I just thought provides a great opportunity for us to talk a little bit more about what, how you view the world and how you see impact investing today is you were commenting to a friend, you said, uh, that the run-up in the stock market following uh, Donald Trump's election victory was, I believe the word you used was immoral. And this incensed your friend who was, uh, I, I take it to be that he was a, a free market advocate or something and, and really got upset arguing that uh, the markets are amoral, uh, that they simply uh, exist, but that they have no inherent morality, uh, contrary to your implication that the market had behaved immorally looking for lower taxes, uh, fewer regulations on the, you know, to protect the environment and consumers, et cetera, et cetera. Where do you take us from that anecdote? Well, I, I think we forget that our understanding of capital, our uh, assessment of the way capital markets function are really is simply the outcome of a set of uh, reflections and experiences that we've had in the last four centuries. Um, that this is simply a social construct that we have decided, actually a lot of us have not decided, we've simply embraced what's been given to us as you know, the operating practices and the values and beliefs of how we're supposed to think about capital. And I think that um, what's important for us to reconnect with is the fact that we actually have the power and capacity to redefine uh, both how we understand the purpose of capital and the ways that we um, really appreciate the role that capital can play in our world, in our lives. And this idea that somehow um, economics and capital 
is objective and rational and outside the bounds of social conversation, if you will, and then anything that is subjective is somehow to be suspicious, to be suspected rather, um, and is uh, simply my word against your word, I, I think we have to stop and kind of recognize that we have collectively come to a place and we can collectively go to another place. Uh, we don't have to accept this simply as it is. And so, um, and this, this particular question I just find curious because at the same time that people want us to accept this idea of objective and rational and the, the rules of economics, they will also say that markets are governed by two things, uh, fear and greed. And those to me are fundamentally social dynamics and issues. And so uh, all I'm saying is that we should pause and really think about, you know, how do we want to be in the world with regard to not only how we manage capital, but our relationship to capital and our understanding of really the fundamental purpose of capital. Ultimately, I think you would conclude with respect to this question of the markets that in fact they have a, a moral rudder, whether it's pointed in the right direction or the wrong direction, I think you would say that it, it is a reflection of our collective morals and not simply an amoral mechanism. Am I interpreting yes. your conclusions correctly? No, I think that's right. And when I, when I work with families, I say to them, you are the market. Uh, it really doesn't matter <laughs> you know, what some arbitrary benchmark has done. If you are trying to do something that public markets don't understand anyway and aren't structured to try to pursue. And so forget about the benchmarks. Think about what are you really trying to do in the world? How, how do you want the legacy of your having lived to stand? And then how do you take not only your investment capital, but all of your resources in order to, to really be present in the way that you would like to be in the world? And that's really how we go kind of deeper and at the same time higher to transcend this kind of bifurcated space that we've created for ourselves that asks us to either think about doing good or doing well, to work for a nonprofit or a for-profit, to make a grant or an investment. Really, at the end of the day, we're simply talking about capital, we're talking about organizations, we're talking about leadership, we're, we're talking about how we wanna be present in the world. And each of us need to spend, I think, a lot more time simply sitting with some of these questions. Um, the other thing I'd say is that we seem to think that we're the first ones who've ever kind of grappled with some of these issues. And um, the, uh, the historian uh, Arnold Toynbee talks about the fact that every generation thinks that they are the pinnacle of evolution and development. And in some sense, they are. But every generation thinks they are. And so uh, what I think we're missing is that in this day and time, we have the potential to reach back and to bring forward a, just an incredibly rich history and exploration and perspective that has really evolved over the last, you know, gosh, let's, let's call it 5,000 years. And for us not to bring that experience and reflection and wisdom into these conversations today is not only, you know, the pinnacle of hubris, but it's also uh, just a, a, a stupid way to think about being in the world. We, we think of ourselves in almost an ahistorical context, which uh, really is, uh, sets us up for failure and it makes us less able to function and operate and be fulfilled within the current context and time. As you think about 
the purpose of capital in the context of some practical questions. Let me, let me ask you to weigh in on something. I hear passionate, uh, educated, uh, dedicated impact investors make arguments on opposite sides of this, this question. And one is, you know, can or should impact investments be expected to yield market returns? And some will say, yes, they must, uh, lest we fail to attract enough capital to do any good to the sector. Others say, on the other hand, they cannot, uh, by virtue of the need to be focused on uh, the impact that uh, absent a sacrifice of return, the, uh, the uh, too much value is extracted from the prog you know the, the thing we want to accomplish. How do you weigh in? How does this book help us to wrestle with that question? I think what, <clears throat> what the book tries to do is help us recognize that part of what's wrong with our conversations today within the field of impact investing is that we have created a situation where everybody is pitching. Uh, everybody has a, a killer app, a new fund, a better strategy, a better definition, and we end up in these postures relative to each other where we're arguing about things that are here instead of looking up and trying to coherently move forward um, as a community of practice, if you will, in order to capture the larger components of value that we have the opportunity before us to realize. And so a lot of what I do in the book actually is I, I present no solutions or answers to any of these questions. <laughs> um, and in fact, I, I really say that this is part of the problem. And I think in, there's a Taoist saying, uh, open mouth first mistake. And I, I really like that saying. <laughs> um, and it's interesting because for somebody like me, this is a very hard thing, right? It's, a very, it's very hard to say we need to enter into open conversation and dialogue from a place of humility and from a place that says, actually, you don't know and I don't know. And where we're going to find the answer to these questions is by connecting together at a much more kind of uh, deeper level and really exploring in partnership with other folks, uh, what are the possibilities and the potential ways that we can think about this? And the, my, my response to the question that you've, you presented is that that question is fundamentally grounded in the idea of a bifurcated value proposition, that in fact, you have to do either one or the other, and you have to sacrifice financial return for social value um, and that social value can't be pursued because you've got the, you know, the economics that you have to deal with. And what I'm saying is that if you step back from that particular question and reframe how we're approaching this, we can understand that, well, actually, from let's say a portfolio perspective, if you think about the range of capital that we have to deploy, that's philanthropic, near market and market rate capital, across that continuum, there are a host of different profiles, if you will, of both financial and impact performance. And that can be uh, assembled and deployed in a variety of ways, depending on what it is you're ultimately trying to do. What, what is the purpose of the capital that you're deploying? And we seem to come into this conversation with a set of assumptions that your meaning, purpose, and goal should be my meaning, purpose, and goal, and that there should be one way that we understand this as a field. 
And once you understand what I'm really talking about, you'll see how right I am. And I, I think it's a very, um, well, I mean, it, it's, it's not dangerous, it's just useless because it ends up where we are today, where you have simply have a competing sets of perspectives and you have no process by which we're really open to the possibilities of discovering a new alternative that's in front of us, not to either side of us. And so this is why I'm saying that we actually need to back away from some of our solutions. We need to step back from the idea that we're all so brilliant. And you know, now that you know, the, you know, the great guys from Wall Street are here, they'll figure this out. And all we have to do is just put all of our money into one of their strategies. I, I think there's a whole set of different opportunities we have uh, not only to be more effective relative to impact investing, but to be more uh, fulfilled and almost transformed by the process of impact investing. And we're, we're missing out on that whole opportunity given the way that we've approached this so far. Recently, uh, a book has, uh, another book that, that you didn't write, uh, has been getting a lot of attention in our circle, right? A lot of people are talking about winners take all. And uh, I imagine you're familiar with the book. I hate to presume and put you on the spot, but it seems to me that uh, your book is another voice in that same conversation and that people who are interested in winners take all ought to be interested in the purpose of capital. Uh, how do you see these two books relating if you can comment on that? Sure, no, I think they are very closely related. I think the difference is that what winners take all presents is a critique and it says, you know, here's what's wrong with this conversation. And, and then he moves to, you know, his solution, which is, you know, a greater role for the public sector for, you know, democratizing the process of deciding where capital goes. Um, and, and so I think that's fine. And I think a lot of us have had that critique of, you know, what's wrong with this conversation, the, you know, the hypocrisy of impact, if you will, uh, the gatherings of the good and the great, where we all get together and aren't we wonderful kind of thing. And, and we've all been there, I guess, as part of what I found uh, almost, I don't know. I mean, I could obviously see myself in the book, but I could also see that he is also complicit in this. <laughs> and so we're all kind of like guilty, if you will. Right. But um, one of my colleagues said what they liked about um, the, the idea of thinking of these as two um, kind of simultaneous offerings is that that critique, if we're going to get anywhere different, uh, we need to go deeper. We each have to reflect on a much more profound basis on meaning and purpose and value and most importantly, how we are all connected as a part of this. And in the book, I talk a lot about the interplay between self and other uh, with a capital O. And I think that when we shift uh, this understanding of place and perspective, when we shift our understanding of self and realize that we will not be liberated, if you will, unless the others that we profess concern about are liberated. And that the only way that we enter into that is through a, a place of exploring what I call mutual impact. And that, that that's really the possibility and prospect. And so I think that we can sit with the critique and we can understand a variety of different options or potential solutions. But ultimately, we're not going to move out of this oppositional posture unless we all go, as I was saying before, kind of deeper and higher in our understanding of what it is that we're confronted with 
and the possibilities that we have that can, that can achieve not only what we want, but what we need in order to be more fulfilled in our process as much as we ask others to be more fulfilled in their lives and the impact that we seek to create with them. Yet you are the exact opposite of a newbie in impact investing. Uh, the most experienced sage voice. You are the only person, who, perhaps with the credibility to write Purpose of Capital and have people read it and appreciate it. As you reflect on your career, what are you most proud of having accomplished? Woof. Um, well, first off, thank you very much for, for saying all that. I appreciate that. And I think that I am, I'm fully aware that, that I am simply a part of a much larger community of practice that we all have advanced over, in my case, probably 30, 35 years. Um, and I, I think that, well, here's a, here's a couple things. I, I have thought, uh, this is going to sound a little morbid, but my, my father passed away a, a few weeks ago. And you know, it, it, that stops you, it, you know, it, it gives you pause. And, uh, you know, in my case, I thought of this in a couple of ways. One is that all of a sudden, like, I, I really am the elder, if you will, you know, like my, both my parents are dead and here we are. <laughs> and so it gives you a different place of understanding your, where you fit. It also then is a catalyst for looking back on your life and saying, okay, I, I'm 59. I have, 15, 20 more years of, you know, really being engaged in, in this life and then this conversation, what would I want to change? And when I look back, I really, and again, this is going to sound a little flip, but I feel like I could have died at any period of my decades, if you will, and I would have been okay with that. Um, I started in, in community work, in youth work. I was the founding director of the Larkin Street Youth Center in San Francisco, which works with homeless youth and teenage prostitutes. I know that there are people alive today because of what we did together in that community in the Tenderloin District. Um, I look back at the 90s and uh, I was lucky enough to be early to the conversation around how do you think about bringing investment and business practice into community application? How do you bring an investment mindset to philanthropy and really view it as a capital uh, that as capital that needs to be deployed and managed and structured as opposed to simply given away. And by virtue of just being a part of that conversation, I was very fortunate to then in the, in the aughts to be able to step out of the nonprofit philanthropy conversation and work with people in private equity and public equity and hedge fund groups, all exploring kind of like, how can you take capital and transcend this bifurcation? How, how can you integrate performance? Um, and so I've, I've been really just lucky to, to have been in the right place at the right time and been able to make contributions to that process. And then I've spent this past decade working with ultra high net worth families and exploring from a family perspective, how do you, how do you be more whole in that process? How do you manage a diverse set of assets and deploy those assets out into the world in a way that might potentially create some kind of positive impact beyond simply the generation of more wealth for families. And so uh, when I look back, I, it's not so much that I'm proud of any one thing as much as that I just, I'm, I'm just really grateful, uh, quite frankly, to, to have been able to be engaged in this. And I think that the book, The Purpose of Capital in many ways, for me really brings together a whole host of things. It, it's not a memoir 
but it explores my own experience of being in this space and in this conversation, but it places my experience within the context of history, of philosophy, of uh, culture, of economics. And, and that gives you, and this is, again, this is gonna sound weird, but it, it gives you a sense of peace that I have not felt before because I don't feel like it's about me and who I am and what I'm doing and my agenda and all this. It's kind of, you suddenly become very humble when you think of the fact that I am really, and I think we all are, a part of this, this process of humanity's inquiry into meaning and purpose that has really been over centuries and centuries and centuries. And when you can just stop and sit with that, you can't help but be on the one hand really grateful for being a part of that process and on the other hand realizing that it doesn't all sit on your shoulders um, this all isn't doesn't depend on you coming up with the great answer that you have to convince everybody else about it's it's about us all being in community together and exploring the the, the better ways that we think for our time and place uh, we can operate within in order to advance the type of value we want to have in the world today Jed, what is the most important lesson from the book that you would want to share with people today? I think the most important lesson is the need for us each to come into this process from a place of humility. Uh, I, I really think that what is damaging uh, for all of us is that we've created this situation where everybody is constantly pitching. Uh, everything is about a transaction. Everything is about um, how do we do this. Um, I, I'm, uh, I'm you know, struck when I listen to some of the newer folks who have joined our community with, as they enter it uh, with uh, a real lack of perspective relative to what this community is about and how we got here. And I feel like we need to just dial it down a little bit <laughs> and um, be more open uh, to creating a shared uh, future and to discovering that future together, as opposed to constantly having to try to one up each other, whether it's, um, you know, these, these stand-ups where, you know, you're doing your shtick and, and I've done as much shtick as anybody. Like I can stand up. And when I was working with, with street kids, I could make you cry about homeless youth. And when I get going on impact and when I start talking about purpose, I, I totally, I'm so there. Um, and I think we need to just relax <laughs> and, and listen more uh, and really be in dialogue. And this is why this fall, as this book has come out, um, I've basically decided not to do any keynotes, not to do any talks by myself. All of the talks that I'm doing uh, through the fall are all this type of conversation with people and um, trying to explore with other folks, you know, how do we get to this next place together? Uh, because I have a part of that answer. Uh, but I only have a part of that answer. <laughs> and uh, I think that we're going to really find the answer by stepping back and being more deliberative in dialogue with each other, which I think is how we come to be in better dialogue with self. Jed, you uh, could have done anything. As you look back over your career, and it's starting to have, you know, we're measuring in decades. <laughs> You've been at this a while. Um, I'm, I'm curious as to why you chose this path. What was it that motivated you? Well, I, uh, 
I, I like to say that I was bred for this work. Uh, my dad was a Presbyterian minister who did a lot of work in urban ministry. My mom was a social worker who um, went on to get her PhD in psychology and specialized in uh, women's issues and women in transition. And I think that uh, when I was, I was in my first anti-war march when I was in third grade that I went to by myself and had my own little sign and stuff. Um, and in seventh and eighth grade, I was pure tutoring kids in Spanish Harlem. Um, and so very early on, I, I basically felt like th it, this isn't something that you had to do. It is something that you just were called to do. And, um, and I just have been uh, really fortunate. I have some good mentors over the years that have helped me kind of understand where I've been at different points in time. Um, and I've been uh, lucky historically to be at a time and place when a lot of us have been asking some pretty fundamental questions about how do you change the world? How do you, what is the place of philanthropy and nonprofits and for-profits in that process? Um, so I think, I think that's basically how I've ended up here is the other thing I would say is that I am, I'm highly skeptical of everything. I mean, I, I think as a minister's son, you see the backside of the preacher, if you will. Um, you know, you hear the conversation that, you know, and the reflection about the congregation <laughs> and all that. And I think I've, I've always been in a place where I've, I have answers, but my answers are temporal. They, they get me to a certain place and then they fall apart and I have to blow through to the other place. And when I was in my 20s, all I wanted to do was run a nonprofit organization and change the world. And at the end of my 20s, I kind of woke up and I realized, wow, like it's kind of a hypocritical space in some ways because there was no connection between how money moved and, and my performance working with kids. Uh, it was all based on politics, perception, and persuasion. And if I was successful in that, then I got funded. And somehow that just, that just felt really hollow. It didn't feel right. And so, you know, that's what kind of pushed me out of the traditional nonprofit work and practice and toward what we now call impact investing and social innovation. Ed, what is your superpower? What is my superpower? My superpower is uh, an ability to be still. And there is a, a Buddhist monk, Jack Miles is a religious historian, and he was <clears throat> interviewing this Buddhist monk who's a hermit uh, living off up in the woods. And they were talking about how do you change the world and the, the role of kind of Buddhist action, if you will. And, um, you know, Jack challenged this, this uh, hermit and said, how, how are you standing here off by yourself in the woods doing anything to help advance a positive world and planet? And he said, I changed the world by splitting wood. And I just liked this, the sense of kind of centering and the you know, presence that that brought. And I think that there is so much pain uh, in the world. And we always want to lead with the solution. We always want to come in and say, here's what we need to do. And I think sometimes we're called to simply be quiet and to, to be present in the pain. In, in the Greek, uh, compassion means to suffer with. And I think that we first need to simply shut up and simply be present with people in pain and with a planet that is in pain. And I think, and this may sound naive, but I think that the solutions come out of kind of leading not from a rational perspective all the time. I'm not arguing against rationalism, but I'm saying that it has its place and it is not the dominant position. 
And that the first thing is we have to understand that there is that illusion of separation when in fact we are all connected in everything and we are all connected with the earth. And the more we do to separate ourselves out, the more pain and brokenness we'll experience ourselves. And the greater we can uh, bring ourselves into a process of connectivity um, with other people, with other communities and with the earth itself, the more we will be able to be healed in this process. And so impact investing shouldn't be something we do to other people. Uh, impact investing should be something we engage in with ourselves and the other. And in the process, we find the solution, we find the answers, and those answers will work for a period of time. And then we'll move on to new questions and new answers and new issues. And so I think it's this openness to evolution and this, uh, what's been called the ability to live in a place of uh, paradoxical curiosity, where on the one hand, you have answers, but you also understand you don't know anything. <laughs> and so you're always kind of open uh, to reflection and really going uh, to new places because where we are now is not where we're going to end up. Now, Jed, that's a powerful insight. I'm so grateful that you would take the time to be with us today. I appreciate your insights. I congratulate you on the new book. Uh, recognizing that you've got to go, you're busy. Uh, could I ask you just to take one minute before you leave to say, tell us uh, how people can get the book uh, and how they can connect with you personally? Sure. No, that'd be great. I appreciate that. Um, what I've done with the book is uh, I'm giving away the ebook format. And so if you go to, to www.purposeofcapital.org, you can download it in all the different kind of digital formats that you need. Um, I've also waived the, the royalties and am self-publishing the book. So I don't have a, a publisher that I have to satisfy. And so we've been able to price the book really in essence at cost. Um, and so uh, what, what you're paying is basically, you know, that, uh, that cost and any profit that does get made from it is going to go back into the purpose of capital project to try to fund more research and writing and convenings and things like that. So if we happen to make money, which I don't think we will, <laughs> um, you know, we'll put it toward the cause, if you will. So people should go to the website um, and then you can also get it on Amazon. You can get the hardback and the paperback versions as well. So thanks so much for that. All righty. Fantastic, Jed. Thank you so much for being with us. And we wish you every success with your new book. Thanks so much, Devin, and thank you for what you bring to this whole conversation and your perspective and expertise in helping us kind of understand what's happening here. So I really appreciate the work you do as well. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Now, let's do some good. At Caring Crowd, we believe everyone has the power to make a difference. Through our crowdfunding platform for community health, we empower passionate people to drive real change. Whether you work for a nonprofit organization, volunteer, or want to get involved for the first time, you can post a campaign on Caring Crowd. Join us, because caring is where change begins. Thank you for listening. Devon Thorpe's mission is to end extreme poverty, improve global health, and mitigate climate change before 2045 by finding and sharing the stories of those who are doing the most good. You can join with other listeners to accelerate Devon's mission by visiting helpdevon.org right now.